In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel from St. Matthew, chapter 10, tells us about a kind of a prophetic warning that Jesus gave to his apostles. He instructed the twelve, as he had them in front of him all together, perhaps in a kind of a serious tone. He said to them, Remember, remember, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. So be cunning as serpents and yet as harmless as doves. Or be shrewd as serpents. Or simple, simple as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be led before governors and kings for my sake as a witness before them and the pagans. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. You will be given at that moment what you are to say. For, for it will not be you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And the intensity seems to increase as he goes on. He says, brother will hand over brother to death, and father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But whoever endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. Amen, I say to you, you will not finish the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. These are striking words, uh, a warning that no doubt the Lord must have issued several times to warn the disciples and the apostles against a discouragement because he knew it would happen. He just knew it. And, uh, well, we know as a fact that that prophecy that he was foretelling did in fact happen throughout the church right from the beginning. The whole early church was filled with many martyrs. In fact, practically the whole devotion to the early saints were all martyrs. All the early saints were all martyrs. And they died uh, protecting their faith. They died confessing their faith. Right? And sometimes uh, there was persecution from the emperors, sometimes from, from uh, the Jewish authorities. And, and we know that it, it, it continued throughout the history of the church in different intensities, different times. Sometimes it was very intense, sometimes it was less. And now too, there are persecutions going on throughout the world in different places where Christians, Catholics, are, are, are truly being murdered, killed in different places. And um, sometimes there will be persecution, but sometimes there will be simply indifference to the gospel. Or perhaps what might, one might describe as a failure to understand the gospel or accept it. 
It's at different levels. At times, there will be even indifference on the part of those who are supposed to live the gospel. A kind of uh, lukewarmness can creep in. A mere cultural Catholicism that is happy with mere externals that sees receiving confirmation as a rite of passage or, or Sunday obligation as just an occasional moment to get together. Those that would be cultural Catholics or nominal Catholics, people who haven't, you know, you know, they barely, they barely know the Our Father or the Hail Mary. And um, maybe they still have the rosary that was given to them at their first community, and they, they hang it on their rearview mirror, and that's what makes some people consider them to be devout Catholics. It's, it's a form of religion or religiosity that acts more like a thin veneer, but has never really sunk deeply uh, below the surface. Those people generally are not, uh, are not persecuted. We know that genuine commitment to Jesus always involves some form of effort, and as our Lord says, to be some form of sign of contradiction. And we could say that if that is not our experience, if we have not suffered on account of the gospel in some way, or been a sign of contradiction, well, we would have to ask ourselves very honestly whether or not we are in fact some kind of a cultural Catholic, external Catholic, or if we simply abide by this veneer. You know what a veneer is. A veneer is just a covering, it's just an appearance, but it doesn't go very deep if we just have this veneer of religiosity. I mean, there are certain worldly things that we cannot compromise about as Catholics, no matter how, how much they become in fashion or how much they may be accepted. And that means inevitably that there's a certain nonconformity to the dominant culture with certain things that go diametrically against uh, faith and morals. But with people themselves people themselves, we have to be very transient, we have to be very you know, understanding, have lots of compassion, compromise with people themselves, accept them and their dignity because they are, they are sons and daughters of God. And uh, with their ideas, well, no, we, we cannot just accept any ideas, we have to be patient with them and understand them and listen and dialogue. Later, after this prophecy, the Lord uh, sends them out two by two because it is always much easier to be accountable to somebody and to have somebody to rely on who can tell us the truth of how well we're doing. But he sent the apostles out in pairs. You know, like maybe St. Peter he sent out with Mark and, I don't know, Matthew he probably sent out with... Uh, I don't know, Bartholomew, whatever. The, he sent them out in pairs. He knew who would fit with who. And um, that reminds us, of course, that when we're doing our apostolate, we're not alone. We may be going and addressing somebody alone, like a friend of ours, 
one-on-one, -on -one, but we are always supported by others who are praying for us and somebody whom we can talk to in spiritual direction. We say, look, I talked to my friend and uh, she gave me this objection or that objection. Yeah. It's always easier to, to do a job that is really, you know, th there are jobs that are done, that are, that are designed for two, and it's much easier to do them for when you're two than to do them for one. I don't know if you ever have tried to carry a, a box spring up a staircase on your, on your own, it's pretty hard to, to carry a box spring, right? But you carry it with two people, no problem. It just, just go fast and you, right? And, and so we're always a company. We should think about that. Who, who helps me in my apostate? Who encourages me? And who do I encourage? Because the Lord says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. You're going out two by two. And there are wolves out there. And that's why we really have to examine today in our prayer today to see, do I have a zeal to go out, to do apostolate, to be, to be an apostle? Not just to do apostle, but to be an apostle. To feel myself to be sent out. St. Josemaria says in the way, Yours is a small love if you are not zealous for the salvation of all souls. Yours is only a poor love if you are not eager to inflame other apostles with your madness. Uh, he had a real sense of urgency about doing apostolate. And, uh, and his words were not simple, harmless, moralizing. They, you know, this, because we have been really given the greatest message in the world, the greatest truths in the world, the most beautiful message that the world has ever heard. And it's true, it has been misinterpreted, misunderstood, sometimes received with indifference, not, sometimes not always presented very well. And uh, with, the, with the faith, with the, with the teaching of Jesus, with Catholicism, there, have been, there are many truths about man, about his destiny, uh, that really fill us completely and... Um, you know, that, that make us want to transmit these truths that our Lord has given us, not because we're better, but He's just chosen us as His uh, apostles. I mean, it's pretty dramatic, the phrase that our Lord says. He says, whoever loves his f father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, our father and mother are worth a lot, but it's a way of saying, like, this is, this is really important. This, this doctrine, this truth, living by the gospel it's just as important you could say as our love for our parents doesn't mean that we have to obviously he's not saying we have to disregard our parents but he, he's trying to emphasize how important this is not like something that is kind of like just uh, an opinion and I, I want to be worthy of you Lord and we can ask ourselves in our prayer do I have apostolic zeal and is it is it a zeal that helps me to face the wolves around me. Because it could be said that uh, we are kind of going through a time of persecution in some places. Well, certainly the 20th century, the 21st century as well. And uh, it's not the in thing to live 
according to the faith right now. And we have to ask, do I have apostolic zeal? Do I have a desire and an optimism about touching souls, about, about impacting their lives for the better? Do I, do I have a real fear of the environment? Because it can be quite uh, hostile. It can be hostile, it can be indifferent. But for us, when the Lord says, I'm sending you out, well, He's sending us out, but in some ways, He's kind of sending us to where we already are, where we already belong. Because He's not sending us out to a mission, necessarily to some other countries or whatever. He's, he's, this is where we are, this is where we belong. And uh, whether it's the street, or the school, the place of work, and we can ask the Lord now to give us a zeal to really improve the environment by our understanding, by our friendships, by our good humor, by our good doctrine. If we could just have that desire to, to improve the, you know, the air around us. You know, in some places, um, people take a lot of care for the grass in front of their house and they manicure the grass. Um, I saw in Vancouver uh, one neighbor who didn't water the grass in front at all and then it ended up looking all brown and brown and burnt and you could see almost a line on the next door neighbor who had a perfect lawn perfect right and uh, he seems to have uh, I don't know what he did he must have watered it a lot uh, but you can see the line one has weeds and dandelions and brown and the other looks like a golf green, right? You could like uh, practice uh, your teeing off on there, right? So um, some people disdain the culture of the lawn. They don't care about their lawns, right? Uh, they think it should be wild and unkempt, you know. Uh, um, but of course, our apostle is not the lawn, it's not grass, it's a soul. It's, a, it's like a soul. And, and that's what we have to be. We have to take care of the souls around us. And the environment, that means the environment. Right? That by that we mean the environment of souls, of people. There's a fellow who talked about his visit. His name is Jean Giono, who talks about his visit to Provence in, in France in 1913. And there... He, he met an old uh, pastor, well, not an old pastor, but a, a, actually a fairly young pastor in his 50s, who, um, whose name was Eliazar Bouffier, and who decided that he would simply start planting thousands of trees around him. And he figured out a way to plant over 20,000 trees and he knew that given the environment that he was in, that only probably 10,000 would survive. And this was like around 1913 or so. But by 1935, what the area that used to be kind of a dry, sterile, dirty land was now covered with these beautiful majestic oaks, beautiful uh, birch trees, and now even the very breeze in the air had changed because you, you, know, you smell the, the pines and the other beautiful trees that he had planted, which were originally just these little saplings. Right? And this, this simple 
peasant worker who planted trees, that's all he did. And the same thing, we know there are students who go up north in Manitoba and they plant, uh, they plant trees in these, these areas that have been already been deforested and they replant them. But they, they probably won't go back there to see this, these new areas, right? But just this one man and those students as well, they plant some trees and the whole region changes. The whole area changes, the tone of the area. The, you know, you could now paint the area like it's like, a, it's like a landscape, like a painting. You could paint it. Before it was dry and ugly. And, and we all know some people like this man that maybe they pass a little bit inadvertently, but wherever they go, but it's as though wherever they go, things tend to improve. Their presence seems to infuse others with a certain optimism, a desire to work, and they are able to go against difficulties that arise and difficulties that may, maybe might discourage others. These guys, they're, they tough it out. And they have a kind of a constructive rebelliousness about them in their small or larger efforts to kind of help rectify the direction of the efforts of men around them. And that's part of apostolic zeal, you know, that this, this readiness to face opposition with courage. But also, well, I would say, with a good dose of optimism, this knowledge that we are always accompanied, that we're not alone, we're not on our sole lone project. We are not uh, better than anyone. We just have a treasure that we want to pass on. You know, the, there are things uh, that, that we can't seem to, you know, we can't seem to change, we can't seem to fix, and it's hard for us to, to accept this. But there are other things around us that we can fix. And that's why we have to have faith that we can help transform the culture, transform the environment that we're like, like, plant, like the man planting those trees. Each tree is like a soul that we plant and the environment improves. And each one of us should sow better, we should be like the sower, you know, the sow trees around. Why, how? With our good humor, with our patience, with our, with our hard work, I would say with our ability to listen. I don't know if, if this is a, a capacity that it seems as though people are losing this capacity, the capacity to listen. The capacity to love others as they are with their defects and with their limitations. It might seem like something little, but these are very important elements that, that you could say that, that render fertile the fields around us, even the most sterile fields, sterile souls. Just to have somebody with good humor, just to have somebody with patience, just to have somebody with, 
an ability to work hard and have initiative and who fights procrastination. Procrastination. Maybe there's just, I don't know, maybe there's just not enough uh, empty, uh, not emptiness. <laughs> maybe there's not enough empathy. That's what I meant to say. Empathy. It's not emptiness. We don't want emptiness. Emptiness. We want empathy. Maybe I have to show more empathy around me. I heard a story of a, a journalist who had uh, been... Well, he hadn't been really living his faith. He was Catholic, but he was kind of just... No, he wasn't Catholic. That's right, he was not Catholic, but he was flirting with Catholicism. He kind of read some books, uh, kind of, I don't know if I should uh, embrace this or not, whatever, you know. And um, so, anyway, one day he's he's invited to give some kind of speech at some college somewhere, in the, some university somewhere in, I think, Syracuse University. And... Um, and there were there was a dinner the night before, and there were drinks, and uh, and he's you know he's in this questioning mode, right? And uh, uh, he's married, but um, um, so this young woman approached him and asked him a question. And uh, apparently, she was quite a like striking, you know, you know, attractive lady, and whatever question she asked him, but for whatever reason he decides to ask her a rather unusual question. He said, is that, a, is that a crucifix you're wearing on your necklace right there? Right? And I guess it was kind of dangling there in front of her. And she said, yes. Are you Catholic? She asked. And um, he said, well, are you Catholic? She, that's, the, that's the question. And he kind of mumbled something. She said, excuse me, are you Catholic? That was my question. He hemmed and hawed, and he said something like very vague, like, no, but my wife and I have been attending for Mass for a while. No. Then she suddenly looked at him like square in the eye, and she said, Mr. Novak, you had better decide soon. Life on earth is short, but life to come is eternal. Right? <laughs> life on earth is short, but life to come is eternal. And apparently that very short line just poor Novak. I mean, he completely, you know, he had to go back to his hotel room and he was in a cold sweat. Uh, you know, and he literally felt physically sick at the prospect of, you know, being condemned to eternity, you know. And um, the whole idea stayed with him for quite a few days. He couldn't think of anything else. You'd better decide soon. Life on earth is short. Life to come is eternal. And so shortly thereafter, he was received in the Catholic Church, and uh, I, I think with his wife. But I'm not sure about that. But, but he certainly made the decision, thanks to this lady who knew how to sort of, or was not afraid, let's say, to say the, the truth. And maybe that was an expression of her temperament, I don't know, her daring, her audacity. But she wasn't afraid. I mean, I, I think it took guts to say that, probably in that context. And so, well, 
we have to dream about souls. I think it's it's important, you know, when you, one thing is that you receive formation and you knowledge about the faith and the truth, but in the end, we have to feel ourselves that we are sent out two by two. We are sent out into the world to be instruments of God, to dream of souls. Perhaps when you think about what you dream about, maybe you dream more about your success or your recognition or proving yourself or can I do this, can I do that, or, or just getting things done, I have these chores, and blah, 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 you know. What do I really dream about? That, that would be good. I finish with these beautiful words from Furl by Saint Jose He said, he's talking about, I guess they went on a walk or something and he, they sat down by the ocean. He said, we could see while we talked the lands of that continent. A light was enkindled in your eyes. Your soul was filled with impatience and thinking about those peoples, you said, could it be possible that on the other side of those seas the grace of God is rendered ineffective? You then answered your own question. In his infinite goodness he wishes to use docile instruments. It's beautiful to, to dream like that and I don't know what, I don't know if they were looking across Africa or where they were looking exactly. Um, maybe they were looking who knows where, but uh, he, he dreamed about the souls on another continent to be a good apostle. And we can, we, why not? We can dream like that as well. Let's ask our Lord to, to fill us with more apostolic zeal, to pray for the person, persons, the people that we encounter, to listen to them, to have that empathy, and to know that in some ways we've been invited to go out and share the treasure that God has given us, entrusted to us. And, of course, remember, life here on earth is short, but life after is eternal. And our, our Lady will accompany us in this task. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.